Good morning. Welcome to Jewish Facts and Jewish Faith. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This morning I thought I'd try something a little bit different and uh, ask five essential questions about Judaism and try and answer them for you. You know, there are many misconceptions about Judaism. Perhaps there are hundreds of myths about Judaism. One that I grew up with, for which I really never knew uh, its origins, was uh, having grown up in the United States in a small New Jersey town, I often heard people tell me, or ask me more precisely, is it true that uh, Jews get buried standing straight up? Now, I have to admit, as a child, I hadn't been to many uh, Jewish funerals or many Jewish graveyards, but I didn't have any information that Jews were buried vertically and not uh, horizontally. And, of course, I could give you many, many more um, of the myths and misconceptions about Judaism. But... I think I'd like to start today with some more challenging questions than simply uh, old-fashioned superstitions, yes? So let's begin with the two uh, most important questions that are usually asked. Is Judaism a race or is Judaism a religion? In the uh, pre-World War II efforts, era, Jews were frequently referred to as a race by both their friends and adversaries, as well as by Jews themselves. Those who spoke of the Jewish race in a complimentary way did not take uh, the trouble to examine the implications of attributing racial characteristics to Jews. Many anti-Semites, on the other hand, spoke deliberately of the Jewish race because they believed that all Jews possessed certain genetic qualities, physical, mental, and characterological qualities that set them apart from others. For many, these inherited qualities were considered a threat to the decent elements of their societies. Now, of course, you know that um, assigning racial characteristics to the Jewish people led to one of the great tragedies of the modern era. Hitler and his propagandists exploited the racial theory in regard to Jews It made sense to them to attribute inherent characteristics to all Jews. As a race, they possessed inferior Jewish blood. All contact between them and Germans had to be terminated in order to avoid contamination of the German master race. 
In September of 1935, the Nuremberg racial laws were promulgated in order to preserve the racial purity of the Nazis. Anyone possessing more than one quarter Jewish blood in his veins was not regarded as German and was to be removed from German national life. It was a dynamic concept and led to the eventual extermination of one-third of the world Jewry. And at no time did Hitler and his henchmen ever ask about religious practices. In fact, there were many who had converted uh, to Christianity decades earlier, and their religious practices were unimportant. No scientific evidence can be found to show that Jews constitute a unique race. The genetic differences between Jews in one country and Jews in another can be as great as those between the non-Jews of the same two countries. Furthermore, the genetic characteristics of every Jewish group in the diaspora strongly resembles those of the non-Jews among whom the Jews have lived. One does not have to be an anthropologist to observe the striking physical similarities among Jews who have come to any country from Germany and those from Morocco and those from Yemen and from Ethiopia. They all look as if they had emerged from the country of their origin. Yet they are all Jews in spite of the diversity of their physical characteristics. The familiar game of trying to determine who looks Jewish in a social gathering or the usually complimentary observation that you don't look Jewish cannot be verified in light of our present knowledge about the varieties of physical features among Jews. And yes, I know some of you will say, oh, but all Jews do have a facial characteristic, the length of their nose, the color of their hair. I would tell you that the same could be said of many Mediterranean peoples. And I could tell you that the same could be said of many Mediterranean people and people from the Middle East who have nothing to do with Judaism. Are those racial characteristics of a particular geographic location? Or are they racial characteristics of a religious people? So if Judaism is not a race, is it a religion? It is difficult for some people to conceive of Judaism other than as a religion. One of the major monotheistic religions of all time. In North America, Judaism has long been considered one of the three major religious groups, along with Catholicism and Protestantism. And of course, most people acknowledge that Judaism is the tree from which the branches Christianity and Islam have emerged. 
And when asked to fill in one's religion on a questionnaire, it's not unusual for people who consider themselves Jewish to say such, I am Jewish. However, the word Judaism is not synonymous with the religion of the Jew. In fact, there is no word for religion in biblical Hebrew. There is the word emunah, which means faith or faithfulness, but not religion. Also in the latter books of the Tanakh, there is found the word da'at, denoting law, custom, but usually not religion. In the Jewish wedding ceremony, when the groom places the ring on the bride's finger, he utters the word Kadat Mosheva Yisrael, which does not usually refer to the broad term religion, but rather to the law required by Moses in Israel. You know, it's interesting. Dr. Louis Finkelstein, one of the great scholars of the modern Jewish era, observed there the most deeply religious of men had no word for religion in the past. Judaism embraces more than a religion of the Jew, though religion is an integral part of Judaism. In addition, Judaism includes the whole civilization of the Jewish people, its history, its cultural experience, its ethical system, language, identification with the land and the people. These are all vital areas embraced by the term Judaism. Since Judaism is more than the religion of the Jew, we can understand why sometimes this is confusing to our non-Jewish neighbors. And we can also understand why when you, our non-Jewish neighbors, see a secular Jew who promotes the notion of Jewish culture or the principles of Judaism but does not practice any religious life and calls him or herself a Jew, that you could be somewhat confused because it would be hard to call oneself a Christian and not practice the tenets of Christianity, what would that mean? And it would be hard to call oneself a Muslim and not practice the tenets of Islam. You know, occasionally, conflicts arise between ethnic Jews and the religious Jewish community. And yet, one of the great anomalies of Jewish life is that no religious Jew questions whether a secular Jew should be regarded as a Jew. Judaism, as a term, encompasses more than religion. And non-religious Jews were regarded as authentic, all by misdirected. So now we've come to that time when we should put these two terms together. Is Judaism a religion or is Judaism a race? And let us make a separation. Jews are the people who are descended through history through culture, 
through their own personal affiliation to Abraham Avinu. Jews are those people who take the title and self-identify themselves through a variety of different definitions. Some Jews define themselves as religious Jews. Some Jews define themselves as cultural Jews. Some Jews define themselves as secular Jews, but with great affinity for the history and the peoplehood. If it's confusing to you, it's certainly confusing to the Jewish community as well. And then there are those who practice the faith of Abraham as it's emerged down through the ages. And so both exist simultaneously. There is a Jewish religious tradition, and there is a tradition of Jewish peoplehood. Notice I call it peoplehood and not racial continuity, racial definition, peoplehood. There is the notion that we are connected to each other regardless of where we live and regardless of where we are born. We have a shared history. That history is uh, noted in the books of the Tanakh. And whether those books of Tanakh speak of a true history or just the stories of a people who have accepted them as truth is unimportant to those who call it their history. I want to switch gears for a moment. And now I want to answer some of the essential religious questions of Judaism. The religion of the Jews of course, is marked by the belief in one God. I want to spend some time talking with you about the Jewish notion of God. And in the brief time available to us this morning, it's not possible to answer every question that emerges for the religious Jew or for those curious about the religion of the Jews. So I've picked three questions to answer from a Jewish perspective and hopefully for you to consider in the privacy of your home. It's commonly believed that the ancient Israelites were alone in their belief in one God. Commonly believed that unlike the pagan religions with their emphasis on polytheism, the belief in many gods, that Judaism alone emphasized one God. However, we may find among some ancient pagan cultures the concept of a single God who is creator, eternal, and even all-powerful. The unique contribution of the Israelites in the Torah and in early ancient um, civilization, was the belief in a God who was the source of all being and in no way dependent on the world that was created. God does not 
emerge from any form or power that precedes God. God is completely free of the limitations of mythology or magic. That is the distinction between the Israelite concept of God and the surrounding peoples uh, which they found themselves. Most essential is the idea that the God whom the ancient Israelites believed in was a moral God who was not capricious or arbitrary. God made moral demands upon God's human creation. Thus, it was not monotheism alone that set the Israelites apart, but more precisely, ethical monotheism. It was a qualitative rather than quantitative difference that distinguished the Hebrews from other ancient people. You remember that Abraham asks God, Shall not the source of justice be just? Remember that that God judges Adam and Eve for disobedience and Cain and Abel for murder and judges the people of the earth in the story of Noah for rejecting a moral life. That was the essential notion of the Hebrew God. Above all, the creator was a source of morality. Perhaps the first notion that within the creative dynamic, there is a sense of right and wrong. Book of Genesis tells us the world was unformed and filled with chaos. And when God began to create the heavens and the earth, God added structure to it. God added order to it. God presented the opposite of chaos. When the Jew declares, either in home or in synagogue, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Jew asserts that God is alone and unique, unlike any other being human or divine. When the prophets of Israel proclaimed the oneness of God, they went beyond repudiating the worship of idols. They asserted that all were interrelated. Furthermore, they declared that one universal law of righteousness holds sway over all peoples throughout the world. As Isaiah tells us, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. The lion will lie down with the lamb, and the prophet Micah says, Let justice well up as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Neither of them put limitations on their prophecies and to whom they are expressed. Beginning in the 6th century before the Common Era, the numerical oneness of God began to take on importance. Why then? Judaism came in contact with Zoroastrianism with its doctrine of dualism, the belief of two divine powers, the God of light and darkness locked in the struggle with the God of darkness and evil. Religion's purpose, as Zoroastrianism conceived of it, is to see that men choose the right divinity, the right God. 
early Israelite religion rejected the dualism of Zoroastrianism by reaffirming the existence of one God. The prophet of the exile, Isaiah, insisted that the one and the same God fashions light and creates darkness, makes peace and creates evil. In each and every worship service, there is a prayer dedicated to the very notion that light and dark and good and evil um, are part of the same creative dynamic, unlike Zoroastrianism. When Christianity became a widely accepted religion, Judaism again asserted the numerical oneness of God in contrast to the early Christian dogma of the Trinity. The mother religion of Judaism reputed the thesis that God the One is at the same time three beings, co-eternal and co-equal. In rejecting the Trinity, Judaism reasserted that God was one, an indivisible unity. In the words of the medieval philosopher Maimonides, he who brought all things into being and who is the first cause is indivisible as one. The essential contribution of Judaism to world history was its belief in ethical monotheism. Judaism believed that God alone is the source of all goodness. God requires moral standards of all people. The numerical oneness of God assumes importance in the Jewish thought only in reaction to those religions that deny the indivisibility of one God. You know, as we've been speaking about the one God, one of the questions that emerges is whether individuals created by God have free will. There are some traditions in which it's believed that God predetermines the fate of all individuals. And it would be simple to accept the thought that an all-knowing God determines the actions of all humans. If that is so, then since God knows everything that happens and will happen to us, God's prior knowledge seals our fate. That would imply that we cannot act as free agents. When Jews use the expression beshert, They imply man's inability to counteract God's knowledge of all future events and his ability to control those events. Though the word beshert is usually different, used differently than karma. The problem with beshert is that to accept the notion that all occurrences are determined in advance by God leaves us without freedom of thought and action. One would ask the question then, how does humanity differ from the animal if we possess no free will? How can we be regarded as either moral or immoral without the ability to choose the right or wrong path? The teachers of Judaism were painfully aware of this paradox 
They could not surrender the belief in God's omniscience, nor could they deny man's freedom of will. The contradiction remains. Rabbi Akiba of the first century of the Common Era acknowledged the mystery when he said in the Talmud, everything is foreseen, yet free will is given to humans. A later Talmudic sage, Rabbi Hanina, attempted to go a step further when he declared, everything is in the hands of God except the fear of God. In Talmudic terminology, yirat hashamayim, fear of God refers to moral conduct and religion. Rabbi Hanina therefore felt that God determines most of our characteristics, our degree of intelligence, personality, physical features, but our moral choices are determined exclusively by the individual. Only we, can determine the path of good or evil. God, as it were, has relinquished control in the area of man's moral decision-making. As Deuteronomy says, I have put before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life if you and your offspring would live. The medieval Jewish philosophers went to even greater length in explaining the importance of free will. Maimonides states, Any man born is free to become as righteous as Moses or as wicked as Jeroboam, a student or an ignoramus, kind or cruel, generous or selfish. According to Maimonides, it's God's desire that the individual exercise the power to act according to his own will and within the limits of his capacity. We will probably never comprehend the real meaning of God's omniscience, since we can define a divine quality only in limited human terms. Nor may we ever fully grasp the extent of our freedom of will. Yet, where choices are within, which choices are within and beyond our control? Yet, Jewish religious tradition clearly assigns to us a major role in which the freedom to choose good and evil or evil is essential. Without free will, Jews believe, a religion is reduced to a form of magic. We've explored two notions of Judaism's understanding of God, and as you can understand, there are many more that questions that we could um, certainly ask ourselves. Does God need our existence? If God has created a perfect world, what can humanity improve upon? Shall I go on? Shall we talk about all the nature of God himself in Jewish tradition? If God is the creator, should we not then discuss where evolution enters into the conversation? All those questions to be answered, and so little time to explore the facts and faith of the Jewish people. But perhaps that's for another episode and another week. This is Rabbi Stephen Garten for Jewish Facts and Faith, wishing you a good day and saying Shalom. Shalom.